Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition and kind of a semi-emergency, unexpected edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. We've been kind of forced into action this week because there's a lot to unpack and a lot to talk about with the Lakers' move to jettison Jim Buss, Mitch Kupchak, who's been there since, you know, the 1980s, and everything else, bringing in Magic Johnson. And if I'm going to do that, i got to go to the guy I trust with the Lakers the most, the guy who covers them for the Los Angeles Daily News, Mark Medina. How you doing, Mark? Oh, well, after that introduction, I'm ecstatic. I mean, this is uh, probably the highlight of uh, the year since I last appeared on your <laughs> podcast uh, before trading camp started. Yeah, so this came, we all expected, I mean, didn't we expect this to happen since Magic came on as a consultant, like, and had the least subtle campaign for a job in the, in the like, in the history and it was obviously wanted this, but the timing was what caught everybody off guard. Yeah, as soon as the Lakers announced, hey, Magic Johnson's going to be an advisor, and he's saying, hey, I'm just here to help. Jim got, uh, Jim Boss is the guy calling the shots. I didn't believe it. it it's, the writing on the wall was very obvious that you look at one storyline. Jim Boss w- was saying in 2014, if if they don't become a Western Conference contender, he's going to step down. And Jeannie Boss had always reiterated, hey, I'm going to hold him to that standard. And then Magic uh, Johnson being critical of Jim Boss on the airwaves, on Twitter, basically any time you talk to him, he would criticize him. So that was obvious, but as you pointed to, how fast this happened. I, I thought this was going to happen something at, at the end of the season where, you know, hey, they evaluate everything, um, you know, good, bad, ugly, uh, regarding the team, and they say, hey, we want to move in a new direction. And I certainly didn't think it was going to be two days before the trade deadline. I know the immediate reaction talking to people around the league, it was kind of this feeling of incredulousness, like how on earth are they going to handle this? Magic has never dealt with GMs on the phone. What's he going to do? Are, are GMs going to try to rip them off? But as yesterday's events unfolded, some clarity kind of emerged where I think that was one of the reasons why the Lakers made the move uh, before the deadline. I think that they, Jeannie Buss had been so skeptical and frustrated with how Mitch Kupchak and, and Jim Buss operated that I think she was afraid they would make another move that would hurt them uh, in the short term and long term. Yeah, I don't think that there was a sense that, and I understand why, there wasn't a sense that from some fans that, this had some, it had a real direct correlation with not throwing the Brandon Ingram into a trade deal for DeMarcus Cousins. But what I heard, and it sounds like what you heard, and it just makes sense, is this was less about that than how that was handled. Not even the, the deal or lack of deal, but how that was handled was the last straw of, look, they just don't know how to do this right anymore. And Kupchak, I think it's more the league kind of moved past him. Jim Buss didn't quite know how to make this work. And they were just like, let's just change now and salvage the deadline and get rolling for the draft. Yeah, and that deal specifically, I mean, if that was a point of contention, frankly, I'm pretty surprised. I mean, a few uh, writers talked, including myself, talked with Magic Johnson yesterday at the Lakers practice facility uh, on Tuesday. And he was calling the young core untouchable. So I think you put two and two together. If Magic were in, uh, you know, the position, was in the position he is now earlier in the week, it doesn't sound like he would have been of the mind of getting rid of Brandon Ingram, even if it got it to Marcus Cousins. Um, so, you know, uh, we'd love to ask Jeannie Buss, uh, who had only talked with Spectrum Sportsnet, and, uh, you know, that very was the person that Magic Johnson said made the decision and would be able to provide insight on, you know, if there was anything that accelerated the change of sediments. But 
you know, bottom line, this move was long in the making, and uh, I know that Jeannie Buss said in the, the interview that she apologizes to Lakers fans that changes didn't happen even sooner. Yeah, and I, I saw that. I, a, I thought it was it was the smart, A, it puts them on their network. You always got to give your own television yeah, network Yeah, they, they do home. spend a lot of money, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I get going there first, but those are also the settings that are safe. Those are the settings that are you're not going to get quite peppered with the same questions or at least they're going to be phrased in a way that lets you have an out that, that you might not, you know, from, from the group of reporters that have questions about the timing. So I think that there was certainly some of that. But what Yerk, you said, I, I also don't think she was wrong in, or, or lying, I should say, or, or even being disingenuous in any way, that this was hard for her. This is her brother. Even though their relationship isn't great, uh, in fact, they barely talk, this was that you're still removing your brother from a spot, and Mitch has been part of the Lakers forever, and and this wasn't just those two. There was a little more of a house cleaning going on. Yeah, I mean, the longtime uh, Lakers spokesperson John Black was let go, and I think uh, you know a lot of us media members were certainly caught by surprise, and uh, mm. you know we certainly have had our good and bad moments, but by and large, she has always been seen as a, a pro's pro. But you know, to your point about Jeannie it being hard for her. I definitely agree. I mean, it's been well-documented, her misgivings about Jim in terms of how they've constructed a roster the past few years, the coaching hires they've made. Obviously, uh, you know, she had a little bit of a personal stake in regards to them not hiring Phil Jackson back and choosing Mike D'Antoni, and that, you know, caused a serious strain in the relationship. But it seemed like the thing that kept Jeannie, uh, you know, conflicted was what her father's wishes were, and she holds such reverence for the late uh, Lakers owner, Dr. Jerry Boss. He had outlined it, you know, in his will and his vision that, you know, he wanted Jeannie to be part of the, the Laker operations overseeing the business, and he wanted, you know, his son, Jim Boss, to be overseeing the basketball acumen, and, and there was an effort, you know, well before he passed that they would be grooming them in those positions to be ready. So... I think that definitely contributed to the conflicting feelings, the difficult decision, as you alluded to, and maybe, you know, the, the time dragging out more than maybe she would have hoped. Um, but I think as time had gone by and there was a, a lot of bad roster moves and a lot of losing, that I think the, the patience is basically wore thin and, and there was a point of no return with it. It's a little hard to judge this from the outside, but from the reports you hear, it- you know, and you're a lot closer to this than I am. There was a sense, though, that Jim, this just wasn't the job for Jim. Because if you talk about the other bus children, Joey and Jesse are involved in basketball operations and are yeah. well respected. Like they, they seem to get it. They seem to be in with the modern NBA. They seem to have a better grasp. And then there's also, um, I want to say Ryan. I hope that's right off the top of my Ryan, Ryan West, West. Ryan West, Jerry's son who I know is incredibly well-respected around the league. Like, other teams really like dealing with him as kind of a... He's more of a future scouting situation. But those guys, there was a lot of talent there. They just... I felt like it wasn't being utilized well, uh, and there just wasn't a sense of how to how to run the team. Plus, and Kevin Ding had that long article about it, Jim seemed to get locked in on... And other GMs have done this, but Jim seems to get locked in on his guys whether it was Bynum, whether it was other guys, these are my guys, and to the detriment of the team, kind of gets bought into this idea in his head that's not really working out. Yeah, and the thing that was very uh, challenging, at least from a reporter's standpoint, is how to really put Jim Buss's role into context, because he wasn't really made available to us, uh, I think, on you know the Lakers' direction. They won Mitch Kupchak to be the voice of basketball operations. Um, and Jim, you know, Jim Buss is a private person as well, but I think he would certainly have been more out in the open if given the opportunity. But even even with that unclarity, and you know, Mitch Kupchak would always say, or lack of clarity, Mitch Kupchak would always say that you know he has the authority to make the final decisions. Jim Buss always gave me the same freedom to operate as the late Dr. Jerry Buss did. I never really got a sense to what degree that played out in real time. How often were they disagreeing? How often uh, was Jim Buss allowing Mitch to make the final call? How much did Mitch, you know, do something because this is what Jim Buss wanted to do? I never really got a good grasp on that because they, they frankly weren't forthcoming about that. And secondly, 
I think the thing that definitely did add, um, you know, I think some some question marks as far as what his role is in the front office and how respected he is. I never really saw him at the NBA pre-draft combine in Chicago, which is, you know, basically where everyone in a front office position goes to because you want to be able to get measurements of the, of the draft prospects coming in, interview them, network with everyone around the NBA. And I never saw Jim there. It was always, uh, you know, Mitch Kupchak and Glenn Carraro and Ryan West and Jesse Buss. Now, he very well may have been there, um, you know, behind the scenes, but he was never seen in the public eye. And, you know, that kind of goes the same with the, the Lakers facility. I mean, there there are definitely times he would be watching pre-draft workouts, but on a day-to-day basis, you know, when you're covering practice and that sort of thing, I definitely saw uh, the other members of the front office a lot more than Jim did. Um, and that's not to say he wasn't doing anything or, you know, he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing, but it made it very difficult to really know what is his exact level of involvement within the operation. Yeah, and there was a sense that he wasn't putting in... Look, if you're an NBA GM, that is a wickedly hard, long-hour job that never really lets up. You know, you're, you're forget just this time of year around the trade deadline when it's obviously going to be busy uh, for them and for us and for everybody in the basketball industry. But if you're a GM, it doesn't really let up. You're kind of constantly working. And there were questions about how often he was in the office, how often he was really focused versus, like you said, this is a guy with a very likes his personal life, likes them separate. And how much was he putting in the work that, that even other, you know, other bus family members were who were there. Well, Jeannie's at the office every day, man. Like these yeah, people Jeannie's are there. at the office every day. And she has a very visible presence yeah. at Laker games, you know, sitting uh, in the front row, um, basically behind the courtside seats right across from the Lakers bench. And so, you know, I think that, that juxtaposition definitely played in Jeannie's favor, not in Jim's favor, where Jeannie was the ultimate ambassador for the Lakers. She always talked to fans, would interact with them on Twitter. If you want to approach her at a game, whether it's a media member or a season ticket holder or really anyone, she made the time to to get to know people. And I think that goes a long way. you know, especially when you're running a business, you, you have a feeling of you know this person, and when there's bad moments, uh, she's there and available to answer things, and during good moments, she's there to kind of cherish and celebrate with the fans. Um, but, you know, but the thing that would always make it complicated when she's answering fan criticism, you know, she made it clear, hey, look, I'm not necessarily involved with these decisions. I'm involved with basketball, and uh, that's kind of how it was designed. Uh, she oversees the business end, but it got so much to the point where she really wasn't aware of what the basketball operations were doing on a day-to-day basis. And there are often times that she found out what they were doing because of something I tweeted or one of the other beat writers tweeted or, or posted as a news story. And, you know, even though she's not trying to be or should be running the basketball operations, I think she should be in the know oh, yeah. on what decisions they're making. Well, exactly. And I think that that's when we said how things were handled with the with the cousin situation, the last straw part of it, she and Magic, and she Magic admitted this. I don't know if she did this in an interview, but Magic did this. He admitted he actually knew nothing about it till he saw it on Twitter. Like, they hadn't told them about this. Yeah, and, and it wasn't even just... It wasn't even just day-to-day things. It was always major decisions. I mean, you, you can yeah. you can extend this even more where Byron Scott, uh, his hiring, uh, Jeannie Buss, or hiring and firing, Jeannie Buss found that out through media reports. Same thing with, uh, with hiring Mike Brown. Uh, she knew about the D'Antoni hire because she was with Phil when she when uh, he got the late midnight call that he didn't get the job. But everything was always through third-hand information. It was never direct. And I think, and this doesn't even go, this goes beyond basketball. I think in any realm of business, especially if you're the person that's supposedly in charge, if you're not being told directly what's going on and you're always hearing snippets uh, through third parties, even if it's bad news and you don't necessarily agree with it, I think that you are able to receive it a lot more if you're being told directly you have a better sense of what the thought process what the variables were at in play and uh, she was never able to get privy to that information it seems like there was a sediment around basketball operations that she felt that they felt like 
you know, maybe she could be controlling and, and micromanaging and she would get upset and emotional over things. But the, the feeling that I got is her frustration was mostly with Jim and with everything else. She didn't want to say, hey, you need to get this player. She would self-admittedly say, you know, I don't, I can't evaluate talent like these people can, um, but I want to know what's going on. Yeah. I think what Jeannie's strengths is, and and this is from somebody who long ago was actually in business meetings with her on uh, other things that were happening at the forum and in a previous life for me at a different publication. She was very smart, but she was very ready to admit there are things... She knows what she doesn't know, I guess is how I would phrase that. She is willing to say, okay... This isn't my field. I've got to get somebody in here who does. Just communicate with me. Just be open. Let's let's have this as a collaborative experience. And it didn't feel collaborative with Jim. It felt secretive. And that, that by the way, is one of the first things that changed with Magic. Not only was Jeannie involved, but they had very open... They were very open about the who was in the room when they were taking these calls. Luke Walton was in the room. Uh, Ryan West, the Bus Brothers, like they were all in the room discussing uh, the Lou Williams trade and and the other possibilities out there for them. Yeah, and that's something that Magic Johnson really hit on uh, in his interview with us. That he wants this to be a collaborative effort. He wants there to be no lack of communication. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out in real time. I posed the question to Magic Johnson. Um, you know, does he see himself uh, not not necessarily in credentials and success because we have to see how this plays out, but just how he approaches the job? Does he see himself trying to model after the late Dr. Jerry Buss, where hey, he's part of the major decisions, he obviously has the final call, but he's delegating to the basketball staff, or? Does Magic see himself as Jerry West, who's you know the general manager? He's the one wheeling and dealing, et cetera. And Magic said a very interesting answer. He said a combination of both, and it's going to be very interesting and perhaps challenging how you balance those two things. Because I think it's fair to say Jerry Buss and Jerry West did not have the same approach how they worked. They had different personalities, and I think the 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 feeling around the league when they're analyzing Magic's arrival here is. Their number one question that will determine the success or failure is what will the exact nature of Magic's role be? Yeah. Will he be an ambassador, obviously the public face because of who he is, a guy who helps behind the scenes, or is he also the guy that's spearheading the charge on trade deadline talks and saying, hey, we need to keep this guy or that guy? And I think there's a fear because of his lack of front office experience, uh, you know, his self-admission that he's not the 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 most qualified expert in, in knowing the CBA, that he could wind up becoming a micromanager and, and making it you know worse than it already is. Um, but at the same time, Magic had said that you know the, the next general manager that the Lakers hire, which it looks like it's going to be uh, Rob Polinka. Uh, he wants that person to be empowered to do his job, and uh, he also downplayed the notion that you need front office exper- you need front office experience. He indirectly referenced, you know, the Warriors general manager Bob Myers. Uh, you know, I'm sure the Lakers wanted to go after, but he's had a good spot right now. But he didn't start in the uh, in the front office. So he was, you know, a long uh, time intern under the you know the prominent sports agent Arn Helm, and then became one of his key associates. And he made that transition. And so I think that's the hope that they're going to have with Rob Polinka. But uh, you know, Magic might be saying the right things, but that's kind of the most intriguing thing, at least for me, to see how it plays out, what the exact nature of his role is going to be, and if he can find that balance of, of being the guy in charge and calling the shots, but also not getting so bogged down in the nitty-gritty where you know the people around him don't feel like they can do their job. And I, Yeah, I've been phrasing it this way. Is, is he going to run it like he's run his very successful businesses, or is yeah. he going to run it like he runs his Twitter account? Because the That's a very good way to put it. Now, that was one thing that he mentioned, uh, not in regards to tweets, but just how outspoken he was. He, he was saying, you know, we're, we're not going to be discussing business publicly, et cetera. But then in the same breath after that, he admitted, you know, hey, Lou Williams is the main guy we're getting phone calls, uh, you know, about trade talks. We don't know what's going to happen, but he's the one that's most in demand. Um, 
So that'll be another interesting thing. And Adig is known as being a very honest person, so uh, he might have to bite his tongue a little bit in his new position. Yeah, really. Although I don't think letting the I don't think saying Lou Williams was drawing a lot of interest was letting the cat out of any bag. I think no, that'd be pretty I think darn we, we were very well aware of that. I mean, I think there's a clear difference between Magic Johnson saying that versus you know what happened this week with uh, Vladi Divac with the Sacramento Kings saying. You know, uh, DeMarcus Cousins uh, is untouchable in trade talks, and we've told him that, and then suddenly they changed their mind. Yes. I mean, I think that is an issue where then players and agents, you know, wonder, do, do I trust and respect this person? But, yeah. you know, in Magic's case, he's obviously being forthcoming. They've gotten a lot of calls with Lou Williams. They obviously wound up trading him to the Houston Rockets for Corey Brewer in a first-round pick. Yeah, and I think, look, in that case, that hurts with agents. Like, that more than even players like you burn agents in this league and elephants man they do not forget and they are going to bring it back um it's it's a very dangerous thing to do and i think that that is the i think there are advantages to bringing in somebody like rob polinka uh who, who a is shown a pretty good eye for talent and finding guys over time um you know obviously repped kobe bryant and he's got james harden but he's also got uh, eric gordon and uh, actually like He's got like half the. It seems like he's got half of Houston. He's got Trevor Ariza, um, it, but beyond that, the other thing I think works with Magic and Palinka is when you hear the stories about the Lakers trying to recruit free agents, not reaching out before, not before July first, having poor meetings like with with uh, Lamarcus Aldridge a couple years ago. You know what? Magic's going to be good in that room. Rob Palinka, look, if you're not a good recruiter. You starve as an agent. Like, you better be good in the room. I think that that part of their game steps up. Yeah, Magic is a very dynamic personality. And when you talk to him, um, he just makes everyone around the room feel better. And you juxtapose that with Mitch Kupchak. He was a very accomplished GM, but he has a very stoic personality. He keeps things very close to the vest. And, you know, I know agents had a lot of respect for him, partly because of what you said, that that he had that integrity. He never misled people, but I know there was also a sense of frustration. They never really knew where their client stood with him. I mean, he was always playing things close to the vest and saying, you know, we'll have to see how things play out. You know, he would be complimentary of certain players, but he never offered guarantees. And in one respect, that's good that Mitch never lied to them and, and said things to them just for the sake of, hey, this is something that they might want to hear. But at the same time, it really gave agents some confusion of, hey, how do I move forward? Are we going to be a priority, or should I have my client be looking elsewhere? And not to say that these were game-changing moves, but there are a lot of players uh, in the last few years uh, that were pretty good second-tier guys, uh, you know, an Ed Davis, a Kent Bazemore, for example, that wanted to come back. And because of that lack of clarity on where they stood, they felt like they had to look elsewhere, and they wound up going to other teams. And, uh, again, that, that wasn't going to dramatically change the franchise, but I think you know you obviously want to have good players that are productive and good locker room uh, presence. And you know I think when you add all those things up, it definitely made a difference uh, as far as contributing to where the Lakers just really had no infrastructure the last few years, uh, really no leadership in the locker room, and and it just continued to spiral where they're continuing to lose games. And I think that's going to be interesting. I'm going to, it's going to be interesting to see if Magic and Palinka, I mean, like you said, they Magic had called the youth untouchable. They, you know, if the lottery balls bounce their way and they don't get bumped out, they probably will have another top three pick, and this is a good draft. Um They've got all this youth, but are they going to go a little more with uh, uh, the philosophy that they need to get a couple mature leading veterans in that locker room, which I think is kind of what they thought they were getting with Dang and and Mozgov, but they overpaid, and and neither of those guys are vocal leaders. They're kind of just good guys in the locker room. Yeah, and what's really interesting about those two moves specifically is it came on the heels of the Lakers facing a lot of warrants and criticism of, hey, look, they missed out on star free agents, many of which weren't really expected to come to the Lakers, yet the Lakers just held everything out on, you know, if LeBron James was going to come or if Carmelo Anthony was going to come, if LaMarcus Aldridge was going to come, if, uh, you know, DeAndre Jordan was going to come. And finally, it was a bad sign that Kevin Durant wouldn't even uh, take a meeting with them, but in a way, 
it finally gave them the clarity that they needed that look like I'm getting rejected I need to move on to plan B and so their hope was hey we're going to get some guys right off the bat that we could finally have a foundation for you know the the, the strategy before was let's sign one of your guys to minimum deals so we keep that cap flexibility but that created a lot of problems where if you're signing guys to one of your deals A they're getting one of your deals for a reason and B when you have a team full of those guys even with guys with the best intentions you can't help but have an awkward working environment because everyone knows that their contract is up and there's a lot of you know uh, self interest in play as far as what their role is and what their stats are and so they wanted to create that structure but to your point with these guys you know Timothy Moskov had been coming off an injury with Cleveland he had a pretty limited role he's not really seen as a, a vocal kind of guy um, Luol Deng on the other hand that was a move even if the dollar figure was substantially high and uh, people around the league almost were laughing at the amount the move itself seemed to make sense in the sense that Luol Deng had still been productive um, they thought that they could he could maintain that while you know, buying, biding time for Brandon Ingram to develop. And he has been seen in his uh, previous years in other teams as a very good locker room presence and very good mentor. And I think Luol Deng has done that, but he's not one of those demonstrative leaders. He's more of one of those behind-the-scenes guys, you know, that, that leads by example with his work ethic, his attitude. And I think for Brandon Ingram, that's been a positive um, because, A, it's given a model for Brandon to follow. He doesn't feel like he's, you know, stepping on anyone's toes with the reality that he's taking minutes from him. But they mainly signed him for him to produce, and he hasn't held that end of the bargain. The hope was that it was going to be a very difficult decision for Luke to eventually have Brandon Ingram into the starting lineup. And frankly, it's surprising that he hadn't even done it earlier, even when you're accounting for Brandon Ingram's inconsistency during his rookie season. Yeah, there's definitely that. I bet the team, I will also say, when you talk to them, they're still very, very, very high on Ingram. More than, I think if they can draft a point guard, they might move on from Russell, uh, depending on what you know who falls where in the draft. Um, but Ingram, they're sold that he's a future all-star still. They're not as, I think they might, look, Clarkson's a role player. Randall is really taking steps forward this year, but I'm not sure they're sold on either of those guys being guys they wouldn't move for the right pieces. But Ingram, they're, like, they wouldn't throw him in the Cousins deal. I mean, I think that speaks to where they, where a lot of people in that organization, even now after the change, are going to see him. You know what's really interesting? You talk about Brandon Ingram, but they, I think they have the same outlook on uh, Avita Zubas as far as his long-term upside. And that's created a very interesting dichotomy where specifically Brandon and Avita Zubas, they have a lot of undeveloped skills in their game. And so I think the feeling is this is going to take some time. But they see... They see the signs right now where you look at Brandon Ingram specifically. He has so many different tools in which to build his game as a wing defender, as a perimeter shooter, as a post player, and as a ball-handling guard. Uh, Avica Zubat, uh, you know, Mitch Kupchak, when they drafted him, he even likened him to Marcus Saul, And that might, you know, be asking a lot because Marcus Saul is a perennial all-star. But you, as you know, when the Lakers got him, he was just a throwaway player as part of the Pau Gasol deal. Okay. Uh, he had he was very undeveloped, very raw, very overweight, and so it's funny to say this, but at this point, Avita Zubats is much more established, much more developed than Marcus Saul was at his age, and they've liked his work ethic, the fact that he's developed a sky hook. Uh, they think that he has phenomenal footwork in the post. Um, he's added a mid-range jumper. And the common denominator between these two players, Brian Ingram and Avita Zubats, even though they play entirely different positions, is they're hard workers. And it's not just the hard worker cliche of you know, them doing everything that's asked of them and that are getting in early in the weight room and, you know, punching out late. They're working on the right things. They're seeking out the right instruction where you know, Brandon Ingram has been working very closely with Lakers assistant Brian Keefe, who had trained Kevin Durant early on in his rookie season with the former Seattle Sonics and then when they went to Oklahoma City. And Avita Zubat is, you know, has consulted the likes of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar about his sky hook. He's worked 
with the longtime Lakers uh, consultant Bill Burka, who's you know helped develop a lot of their other big men in other years. And so not only are they working hard, they're working very smart. And for them to do that at such a young age, I think has you know almost provide a perfect contrast for some of the other young guys not necessarily Larry Nance Jr. I'm, I'm talking more about D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle where they are doing the right things and, and they're trying to establish a better attitude better work ethic um, but their talent is more transparent right now but they don't know how that'll eventually pan out in the long term and if they're seeing not that it's the finished product right now by any means because they're still young but if they're seeing more of this is this might be a possibility that this is more of what you're going to get than uh you know ingram and, and zubots long term so it's it's an interesting thing that they have on their hands with that yeah and they're going to have uh, this new management team is going to have some decisions in the coming years as those guys start to come into restricted free agency and you know, their, their rookie deals end and, and it becomes, hey, how much am I going to pay these guys? Uh, those questions are, you know, still a, a little bit off, but not very far off. And they're going to have, they're, at that point, you've got to make your evaluations and decisions. Do we extend this guy because we don't want to lose him? Do we let him go for a year to restricted free agency and see what the market will bear for them? Right. Uh, you know, they, they've got they've got questions coming. I, I Again, and I think it comes back to how they manage this thing. If it becomes... Look, it's how Magic built his business empire, and he, and he was honest about this yesterday in conversations I saw. You know, he's like, look, he didn't know how to build shopping centers and movie theaters and stuff, but he got guys who did. Right. And he put them around him, put them in a room, and everybody talked. And here, he, you know, in basketball operations, he'll be able to contribute some, but if you put guys in good positions and let them do their job, and they, that's what happens in most well-run organizations, you get a collaborative thing. If you talk to the Warriors... Man, they beat stuff around like nobody's business. Like everybody discusses it, everything comes back around. Ultimately, Bob Myers has got to make the call, but they're going to consult everyone and come up with these decisions. If they can come up with a model like that that works for them, they will at least be on the right track stylistically to making better decisions. Yeah, and I'm wondering to to all the great points you outlined with Magic and moving forward with the vision of this roster is maybe one of the reasons why the Lakers made the decisions to put him in as the head guy now as opposed to at the end of the season was to get an early start on having that influence with the young guys. I mean, there's only yeah. 24 games left in the season, but after the All-Star break, you know, we'll have more clarity with what Luke Walton's plans were, but before it started, he had you know, kind of paint a picture that it looked like it's going to be about the young kids even more, where a lot of the veterans are going to play even more reduced playing time um, and more opportunities for young players to play through mistakes uh, so they get the clarity both for better and for worse. You know, what kind of player do we have our hands on? And I think it's been very clear that there are contingency plans for Magic to be involved in some capacity with working with the young guys. I mean, he's made it clear he doesn't want to get in the way of Luke Walton's coaching. Uh, he mentioned his unsuccessful track record as a coach himself. So, you know, Luke has nothing to worry about. But <laughs> Magic, uh, you know, has the plans of, of providing some help with player development and just you know, sharing perspective with players. So I think most notably with D'Angelo Russell, like when I've talked with Magic, you know, he's really called on him to become the leader of the team because he is the point guard. And because at this point, he has the most developed talent. We don't know if he's going to be the best player right now, but right now it seems like he has the most talent uh, given where everyone else is at their stage of their career. And he's planning to fly with the team uh, for their game on Friday in Oklahoma City. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how receptive they are to their uh, to his feedback. I mean, obviously, they hold Magic in such high regards because what he did as a player, as a Laker, uh, that speaks for itself. But it's one thing to be, you know, soaking in the introductory conversation. But, you know, which players are going to latch onto that feedback on it on the most consistent basis after those initial stages. And, you know, I think that could be very instrumental in determining if which players are uh, developing the most by the end of April. Yeah, I think it's going to, yeah, I think that's a really good point. By the way, one thing you mentioned in there, we haven't really talked about Magic multiple times said he was on board with Luke Walton. Luke's job is safe. Now, Luke was smart. 
when he got hired last year, he saw the potential writing on the wall for a GM change and or front office change and said, I get five guaranteed years or, you know, look, my fallback is to be the Warriors lead assistant for another year. Like, I'm not in a bad spot here. So right. he, he got his five guaranteed years. So that mattered what happened, he was going to be safe. But Magic seems very on board with Luke. Yeah, and actually, uh, the way I understand it, he has a five-year deal. The fifth year is a team option, but four years are guaranteed, which, you know, especially in the NBA coaching realm, you don't always get that kind of security. And the thing that was was always fascinating about Luke Walton is he was going to be fine regardless of how that front office shakeup was going to be. I mean, I say this with the full realization. He, I think, was the right coach, and he's shown a lot of good qualities. But in the NBA, sometimes good coaches are susceptible to becoming an innocent bystander, as you know, of any front office changes. But I think he was going to be protected for any scenarios. You know, that pipe dream that Phil Jackson was going to come back to the Lakers before you know, that ultimately wound up not happening because of his uh, breakup with Jeannie Buss. Well, Luke played for Phil, and Phil, uh, you know, holds him in high esteem. Uh, if they wound up, you know, bringing, uh, you know, someone in a small market or an analytics guru or, or someone that kind of epitomizes the young and rising star of the NBA, well, a, well, number one, Luke is a rising star in the coaching realm, and two, He's part of that modern NBA where he had that experience coaching under Steve Kerr at Golden State. And now with this uh, latest sediment with Magic Johnson, he had a relationship obviously being a former Laker. Even when Magic Johnson was ripping (laughs) the team about anything and everything as an analyst, he was always complimenting Luke Walton. So there's going to be a lot of uncertainty this offseason as far as their roster and what moves they do or do not make. And we'll see, you know, how the dynamic with the front office uh, evolves once they have uh, all these changes in place. But one thing that's going to be a constant and one person that, that's not going to be affected by this as far as his positioning is Luke Walton. Uh, I think he's done a really good job, and it goes beyond the cosmetic parts of hey, him being a contrast to Byron Scott, where you know yeah. Luke has been known to be – a guy who offers more positive reinforcement. He's a guy who can relate better to the young players. He has been able to do that while still holding his authority as a coach, where he can get on guys when he's been upset with their effort. He can provide them critiques, but he does it in a way that doesn't make players feel deflated and feel resentful. And I think that goes to his personality, the fact that he's trying to be collaborative and making everyone feel involved on the team, trying not to play favorites and rewarding players uh, for a good play and benching them when they're not playing well, and then also being transparent with them on their thought process. So, you know, I think if you talk to Luke and the front office, uh, you know, of course there's things he'll, he could probably do better. They're not a good team, obviously, um, but also he's a first-year head coach, and there's a lot of things that are coming at you that you're trying to adjust to. But they see that foundation with him where they think he's going to be a very, very, very good head coach long-term. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that they really do like him. And then, look, that's some stability for the team and for the franchise. While everything else is going on, if, if you're not changing the coach, if the players day-to-day doesn't change that much, then that keeps that building process they've got going forward going. And then, you know, you see where you land with Ingram. You know, like you said, Ingram and Zubak are a year away or two. And Russell has shown flashes. There's moments, or not even flashes is the wrong word. There's stretches of three to five games where you're like, yes. And then he kind of regresses, and then he kind of picks up. But their on-off numbers are much better with him. So I, I still think I still think he's the guy of the future, unless they're able to draft the new guy of the future in a couple months. Yeah, the Lakers are definitely a better team when D'Angelo Russell's on the floor. I know before uh, he got his knee injury, if you looked at the offensive numbers, you know, before and after his injury, it took a huge dive, yeah. and that I think contributed to the the persistent spiraling out of control after that 10 and 10 start because they had a lot of defensive issues but they're able to mask that with such a very well-run offense and because the offense was so well run that made players feel more engaged on defense and then once he went out of the lineup it completely went out the window where a they weren't thriving well offensively and then their defensive issues were exposed and it really hasn't been the same since i mean after d'angelo came back he was shedding a lot of rustiness um 
and just so much inconsistency. And now he's fully healthy, even when he had another injury. But he just he just hasn't figured out the key of being consistent. Where he has those highlight reel moments, that moments where he hits a shot and does the ice in the veins celebration, and then the next game he has five shots or zero assists and it it is a little head scratching because I I think the Lakers knew that there was going to be a puzzle of you know how well can he blend his talent of being a passer and a scorer where they're not diluting his individual play but it's not but he's also helping the team as a whole and I think there's been more and more frustration that the consistency hasn't been there but again he is young I think the hope is that you know, they'll have a better idea as they close out the season. But I know that as the season has gone on, the frustration regarding his inconsistency has become more pronounced within the Lakers organization. And that's not to say that, that his future's on the rocks, but I think what to your point earlier about all the young guys in general, uh, they're going to be they're going to be under more scrutiny. You know, at, during this off season when they have different draft possibilities, different free agent possibilities, and then next season where it was, look, you went through your learning hiccups last year, now we have to see you perform. Uh, so it be interesting to see if he can figure that out before the season ends. Yeah. One more quick thing, and I don't want to spend a ton of time on it. We kind of brushed past the Lou Williams trade. I, I think that was a solid return for the Lakers. Like, you get a late first-round pick, you do okay on that for... Uh, you get Corey Brewer back, who can step into the rotation. He's not nearly as good as Lou, but um, you will get some leak out dunks. But uh, <laughs> you're not. Yeah, I think I think it's basically what the Lakers are looking for. I mean, I don't think the the Lakers uh, made this movie because of Corey Brewer. I mean, his more his numbers were pretty low, uh, which is head scratching for a Mike D'Antoni offense. Uh, they basically got rid of uh, Lou Williams because they wanted another draft pick. I think I think that that does help, and it was actually they got a, like you said. I think a first round pick. I think my only question is, there was so much interest. I mean, I know Washington had interest. I know Indiana had interest. There was a bunch of uh, a bunch of teams that did. Could they have gotten a slightly better first round pick? Maybe, but I don't think that this was a bad. This was about what I expected them to get, which was a later first round pick for for Lou Williams. That's a good deal for them. And by the way. Love that fit in Houston. Like, he's going to walk right into that second unit with him and Eric Gordon and light it up. It's scary to think. I mean, he was so productive this season under Luke Walton. Under Mike D'Antoni, it's almost like he's going to go like 10 times the speed of that because of just how prolific that offense is. Uh, And to your point, could they have gotten a better deal? I know that there were some people around the league that questioned that. Why didn't they wait uh, until, you know, moments before the trade deadline ends because you can get more leverage out of that? But I think the end game for the Lakers is they wanted to get a they wanted to get a first round pick and uh, it was available, so they took it. Yeah, exactly. I think I think what they got was fine. I think they, you could have tried to leverage that a little more. Maybe you could have played the game, but hey, first day in, you made a move, you, you made it happen, and it's not a bad one. That's that's a good start. You can at least start to see the direction that they're going in, which should make Laker fans happy because I think that there, Jim Buss was a little bit of a scapegoat. I don't think you know. I, you, you pretty much blamed for everything in Los Angeles, including global warming, and it wasn't. <laughs> I, I thought he was responsible for that. Yeah, no? exactly. I don't think this was all his fault. I don't think he gets. You know, he gets. 
he was involved when they were winning titles too. It was like, but <laughs> the yeah, Laker fans are going to be happy. I, I think that's a very good point, and um, you know, for all the criticisms, and this is, you know, Mitch Kupchak would even admit it. He's like, if you, if any Laker fans have criticisms on the direction of the team or moves that were or were not made, you know, I deserve part of that criticism. And this goes back to my earlier point where we never, I never at least got a full sense of, you know, which decisions were in Jim Buss's image, which ones were in Mitch's image, which incidents was Mitch overruled, which incidents did Mitch win. Um, But I think generally speaking, uh, Mitch is involved with all these decisions, so he deserves part of that blame. And I think, you know, when we're talking about these changes, Jeannie Buss was very of the mind of that. I mean, I don't think that she held Mitch in high regards for, you know, his role in these recent seasons. And I didn't get a sense that they really had a, a close working relationship in the last few years. So, you know, th- these decisions that Jeannie made, it wasn't just because of the, the sibling rivalry or, or the issues that she had with her brother. Um, she attached Mitch Kupchak to that as well, and, and that's why he was ultimately let go, even though you know, he was a very accomplished executive, being with them for 30 years um, combined and 17 with the general manager and you know, overseeing a lot of success. Um, she looked at what he had done these last few years, and that influenced uh, her decision-making. I, yeah, I completely agree. And hopefully, I, like I said, I think with Magic and Palinka and, and the direction they're going, you're going to see the Lakers... Look, I, when I say move into a modern style of NBA, I don't know that their like analytics department is going to grow and be massive or anything like that. Uh, but they will, they will. There was a sense I want to feel of that some of the Lakers people were trapped in the and maybe Mitch and Jim were in this were trapped in the past a little bit, and I think Jim in particular of the we can still get superstars. We can look, we can land these guys, and I think until they couldn't get a meeting with Durant, it didn't sink in. Like no. We're just not going to... Look, if you think we're just going to be able to get Westbrook or Durant or any of these guys to come because we're the Lakers and it's Los Angeles, those days are gone. You can't do that anymore. In the new CBA, in a new social media market, these guys... Look, LeBron's making a few bucks in Cleveland. He's fine. Like, you don't have... it's You don't have quite the draw. And now I think that they're realizing that they've got to do more what Boston did. Like, before they could get Al Horford, they had to get to 48 wins. They had to build a core. And then guys like Horford will go... Yeah, I'll be part of that. Now you can start to draw there. They they got to get that core up. Yeah, and you're seeing some of those small incremental changes in recent years where you know the the scouting department did a good job in looking for some pretty good mid round first you know, mid round first round picks with the Jordan Clarks and a Larry Nance, Levita yeah. uh, Zubats, and then as far as the analytics go, you know I don't think anyone's comparing the Lakers to Golden State or the Houston Rockets, but. They started uh, adding people on their analytics staff, and, and there seems to be more collaboration with the, the the Lakers coaching staff. And I think, you know, Luke Walton's background with Golden State, uh, you know, I think definitely contributed to him leading more credence to those areas than Byron Scott. I mean, for example, uh, Luke Walton entered the season, you know, having his analytics department track the number of passes uh, the team was making per game because when he was at Golden State, Steve Kerr had told the guys, hey, we want you guys to average 300 passes a game. That's a mark that suggests um, that you guys are playing well as a team, the ball is moving at the pace it should be, and he's getting those reports. And they haven't always reached the 300 uh, threshold for each game, but it's giving them a sense of, hey, this is where we're at and this is how what we need to do to get to that number moving forward. Yeah, that's a good point. So I, it's going to be interesting to watch this team going forward and into the summer, and we will be reading your stuff. Mark, where can everybody find you on – thank you for doing this, first off. And where can everybody find you on Twitter? You can find your work – it's not just the L.A. Daily News. It's a not whole group. the L.A. Daily News. It's, it's the Orange County Register as well. Those are the two main newspapers. It's under this – media group called Southern California News Group, but you know I don't want to confuse the listeners too much. Basically, if you go to the OC Register website, the LA Daily News website, or to my Twitter account, which is Mark G underscore Medina, you'll get everything you need to all the links to stories, you know, my tweets on the game, things that are going on, like uh, the changes that happen with the front office. Uh, and of course, you can hear me on uh, the NBC Sports uh, podcast here uh, in this episode. Yeah, exactly. We, we, and we will have you on again soon in this summer. And uh, I will see you at Staples fairly soon. And uh, it was fun seeing you in in, La, in, in uh, New Orleans. Um, did you eat a little there? Did you, did you Were you able to find a, a bar? 
I did. I ate some. I ate some really good seafood, and I had struggled to move after that. Uh, <laughs> I, I ordered a seafood platter that had a combination of catfish, oysters, and shrimp. And by the end of the night, I curled up like a shrimp because I couldn't move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was. I was. Yesterday was a strange day for me. I I got the news of of Magic's, uh, you know, the, the Lakers changeover. At the gym, because like the first thing I did, I got the kids to school in the morning. I'm like, I got to get to the gym, dude. I've got to get some exercise. I feel like a big tub of goo <laughs> after spending five days in New Orleans. Uh, I, I was debating that as well, but I've learned in the nature of trade deadline season that week, uh, I'm better off just staying yeah. where I'm at and then take care of the gym later. And I guess that worked out because as I was pecking away at some long-term stuff and and making the early calls on trade deadline inquiries, all of a sudden I saw the news about Magic, and then I instantly knew, yeah, today was going to be one of those days where it's nonstop. Yeah, I think the people on the uh, next to me in the gym, like there were people on kind of on the other side of me, were confused when I yelled a large curse word like out loud when I saw that. I'm like, Maybe they just thought you were struggling on the bench press. Exactly. Right? Yeah. No, no. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, no, that was not it. And literally, it was like, all right, and I'm done. So we're going back. Up. So. Uh, Thanks a lot again, Mark. I look forward to seeing you soon. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you, as always. Always love your stuff. And all of you, thanks for listening again. Thanks, Laker fans and everybody else who tuned in to listen to the uh, Laker Palace intrigue. Uh, You can find me, Kurt Heelan, at Basketball Talk on Twitter and, of course, all my works at NBC Sports. This podcast at iTunes, where most of us, I think, or a lot of people get their podcasts, you can go on there, like us, subscribe, please, follow along. But uh, also the Stitcher app, which is what I use to follow my podcast is phenomenal. It's a great way to kind of organize and keep track of everything you're doing. And if you go to both NBC sports and the audio boom page, audioboom.com, there's an NBC sports podcast page, not only with this one with PS and Florio with the great NASCAR podcast that we do that, that, that is ramping up hockey podcasts as they start to move in towards their playoffs, both focused on teams like the Blackhawks and some national podcasts all sorts of everything from all the NBA, um, NBC Sports franchises out there, the, the CSNs, the locals, as well as the national podcasts at audioboom.com. You can find it all, including this podcast. And uh, we will be back later in the week to break down the winners and losers of the trade deadline. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.